Thanks for joining us in our series on the book of Ephesians. In this letter, we get a thorough view of God's cosmic plan of reconciliation and reunification in Jesus Christ. Its truths are vital to the Christian's understanding of personhood and the church. Cornerstone exists to declare and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people complete in Him. Ephesians 6, 21 through 24, can you believe it? These are the last four verses of Ephesians. I don't know if anyone was counting, but uh, it was last year in March when the pandemic started. The very first sermon I preached on this topic in, in Ephesians was the very first Sunday of the pandemic. We, we, the first time I'd ever preached to a camera in that way that was going to be actually used for us. So uh, I was talking to another brother earlier on. He's like, wow, it took us a, a year to get through Ephesians. I'm like, well, we did a couple other things in there too. Um, but it's been good. Let's go ahead and read Ephesians 6, 21 through 24. This is God's word. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray together. God, it's a simple prayer. We need you. I, I, I don't know sometimes even the words to pray, and I'm thankful in the midst of our own weakness that the Spirit intercedes for us to pray according to the will of God. God, I believe that it is true that your word should go forward and change our hearts, and so I ask you to grow us today. I ask that in the simple passage, you would make us more like Christ, that you would build our confidence in you, and we would see the grace that we've received in your holy word through the Apostle Paul and your Spirit's work. Thank you for your gracious love for us, and we ask your blessing today. In Jesus' name, amen. I was doing a, a little bit of reading and a little bit of research uh, this week, and I didn't know, did you know that letter writing is coming back into popularity? I mean, like handwritten letters are happening more and more. Um, you know, pen pal clubs are starting to pop up all over the place. I, I, I always thought that pen clubs were usually like relegated to like the back of a children's magazine and you kind of connected with somebody and started a long distance like pen pal relationship. But I didn't realize there's whole clubs that get together and they like sit in the coffee shop and they all write together, these pen pal clubs, and they go all over the place. I also didn't realize that... Um, Stationery is doing very well, and uh, greeting cards continue to be a way for people to express their love for one another, or at least their obligation to one another. They feel like they're supposed to communicate in some way. Uh, I also didn't realize that um, stationery shops are popping up all over the place, mostly run by millennials, but still, they're making a comeback and doing pretty well here. There are a time in, in, in history where we see that social media has maybe called us away from the screen to understanding the importance maybe of the pen and paper, something a little bit more personal. The written word we know is important. And if you've ever received a handwritten card or a letter, you realize that someone has taken their time to stop what they're doing and to make sure they sit down with a pen and paper and communicate to you. I'm not talking about a, a, an email. We probably have all sent emails in the last couple of days. Maybe even this morning you sent a couple of emails. I'm talking about sitting down and getting or giving a handwritten letter. It's not something that a lot of us do very often. But let me just think about this with you. Last time that you got one, 
What was the purpose of receiving that letter? Or maybe you wrote one recently. What's the purpose of sitting down to write a letter? Usually it is for some sort of communication. You need to tell someone, someone or maybe at least to connect with them. Now, my, my, the goal of my sermon is not to be like, hey, you all need to go out and really write a lot of letters. That, that's, that's not like the gospel according to letters. That's not what we're trying to do here. I just want to kind of draw our, our, our minds back to that we are reading a letter. We are reading something that Paul sent to other people. That's what's going on here. I start this way because I, well, I just want to make sure that we realize that many of us who read our Bibles maybe every day, throughout the week a couple times, we sit down and we open up, potentially we're on a, a reading plan, and we open up to some chapters and verses, and we read them well, and we try to understand that truth, and we know that within God's word, we believe this is true, is his truth, we have the, the gospel message, good doctrine, the story of scripture and creation, all of these things are true. And so when we come to the scriptures, we, we take it and we contemplate and we think about it. Maybe we even defend it or maybe we talk about it with others and maybe we try to analyze it and make sure we understand it well so our doctrine will be straight. I just don't want you to miss today the fact that this is a letter, a real letter. Sometimes I think that, uh, I will just put my hand up that I sometimes believe this. My Bible reading, I kind of think is some sort of magical experience. What I mean by that is if I sit down and clear my schedule and open it up and I read two or three chapters or whatever it is, that somehow automatically I will become more holy. And, and, and all of us know that there's a temptation there to slide into. We know that it's wrong, but that's sometimes how we think about this thing. And even when it's not just that, we're like, okay, I need to really think this through and, and contemplate. Sometimes we think about it as an instruction manual or maybe like some really wise sayings that we really need to consider and think through. I just, again, want to bring us back to remind us that this is a letter from a real person to real people. We've kind of come to the end of Paul's instruction, all the stuff that he's been writing. First chapters one through three were about who you are. And then chapters four through six about Paul saying, go be who you are. And he's finished up this instruction, right? And now he's gonna leave us with some closing remarks. Just kind of the end of the letter. That's what he's doing here. This little section is like you can kind of, you flip the page over and you can see the end of the letter. You can see where their signature is. This is that. This is kind of the closing remarks, his, his signature, his sign off telling us that he's finished up with this. Uh, we, we've come to this, and I, I know that most of you are wondering, okay, how are you going to preach a whole sermon on some closing remarks? Well, maybe we'll get some, some word study stuff in here or some speculation to fill up our time. Hopefully we can see that these closing remarks are precious, that they are profitable for teaching to equip us as members of God's household and understanding that this is the way that he uses his word to equip us for every good work. Uh, there are a few things I just want you to notice today, all of which make this a very personal ending to this letter. And when I say personal, I certainly mean that it's personal for those that are first reading this, but I also mean that it's personal for us. These closing remarks aren't difficult to understand, but that doesn't mean that they don't matter. These aren't throwaway verses. I think sometimes we can think that way. So this is what I'd like to do. I just want to ask and answer two questions of this text today. Number one, what is Paul doing in these closing remarks? What is Paul doing in these closing remarks? And then two, why are these closing remarks important for us? 
We need to understand that some of this, what's going on here, is important. We've got to understand the bits and pieces so that we don't get here and just get our eyes glazed over and then like, I'll just turn over to Philippians and start there next. It's important what's going on here and it does matter. We also need to understand then how does it matter for you and I in Virginia Beach in 2021? Or is it just something that was helpful for them back there? So let's start with the first question. What is Paul doing in these closing remarks, 21 through 24? Now I made that statement carefully. I meant what I said. I really do mean what is Paul doing? He's obviously writing this down. We'll talk about that for a moment. It's very possible at this point, he goes and picks up the, the, the pen from his amanuensis, the person who's probably taking down all of this. He's dictating to him. He may go over and pick up the pen and write these last few sentences. He's done that in many different letters. In Galatians, he does it. In Colossians, he does it. In 1 Corinthians, he does it. In 2 Thessalonians, he does it. In each of these places, kind of, Paul says, I write with my own hand this, and he's authenticating this message. He may do that here. He doesn't really tell us if he's doing that or not, but it's very possible that he was. Anyway, as he does so, he shows us that he is doing two things as he sends this letter. First, he is sending an important messenger, Tychicus. We'll look at this guy in just a minute. And then second, he finishes by praying for these Christians. His final thing for them is a prayer. And in so doing, I love this, Paul is actually practicing what he preaches. I mean, he shows us that the Lord Jesus has drastically changed him as an individual from someone who used to persecute the church, who used to take them to jail, who used to harm them, to being ones now that he is sending a messenger in love to help and pray for and extending himself for these believers. So let's go ahead and take a look here at, uh, at these first two verses, 21 and 22. So that you also may know that I am, I'm sorry, how I am doing, I can't read. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that they may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul tells us what he's doing. He's sending Tychicus, this kind of Christian courier who delivers the important letter to the Ephesian churches. Now, for you and me, we don't really know who Tychicus is necessarily. We may have heard his name before. We don't, I mean, for all we know, he could just be like a UPS guy or someone that's in the United States Postal Service delivering this mail. But that's not what's going on. We know that Rome didn't have necessarily a robust postal service that was trustworthy. And Paul's not just hiring some dude off the street to run his letter all the way to the Ephesian churches. Instead, what we see here is that Paul is going to send a close associate, Tychicus, a trusted friend and brother. And this is a costly endeavor, mind you, to do something like this. Tychicus, although maybe unknown to us, was certainly not unknown in this time period throughout the church. He's mentioned five different times in the New Testament. And from what we know, he was certainly a close associate with Paul. He's also probably, we don't know this for sure, it's very possible that he's some of the ones that's actually sat down to pen these words as Paul dictates it to him. At the very least, we know that Paul trusts this man, Tychicus, to be the messenger who takes this message to the churches. In Acts 20, verse 4, we learn from Luke that Tychicus and Trophimus were Asians that traveled with Paul through Macedonia on some of his missionary journeys. Then if you go down to 2029, we find out that Trophimus is an Ephesian, and likely, therefore, it's possible that so is Tychicus. He's possibly an Ephesian as well. 
In 2 Timothy 4, we hear Paul clearly say that he has sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Now, that's not just to, like, to bring up another time his name was mentioned. That means that at least Timothy and Paul know who they're talking about when they're referring to Tychicus. He's a man within the church that Paul knows, and many people know that he's connected with Paul. And then if we were to think about Colossians, this is the one that really brings it together. In chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, we learn that Tychicus apparently carried Ephesians to its destination, along with letters to the Colossians, and most likely to Philemon as well, since Onesimus, that returning slave, is with him, traveling with him. All this is to say, Paul isn't shipping this letter by FedEx ground. He is putting it in the hands of a trusted Christian brother to take it to these people. So he sends his personal messenger. In verse 21, he describes him, take a kiss. And then in verse 22, he tells us why he sent him. So take a look at verse 21. Paul describes him as a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Now, these aren't just... uh, nice words to say. He's got to come up with something, so he says it. No, he actually means these, and he's trying to describe what's going on and what's happened in Tychicus's life. For a moment, consider what he's saying about him. He's calling him a brother and a minister. He's saying that he is beloved and faithful. Uh, The person who is coming to deliver this letter has experienced the divine blessing of salvation, and therefore he is part of the family of God. Tychicus is a brother in Christ. He also, in some way, joined Paul in the task of serving the Lord Jesus. Look at this. He says he's a faithful minister. or That's another word for servant. What we know then from this is not only that Tychicus was one. If you remember back in Ephesians 3, Paul told us that God had made him, Paul, a minister of the gospel according to God's will, the grace that God had given to him to proclaim the gospel message to the Gentiles. So, in some way, Tychicus has joined in this endeavor. It may be simply that he serves Paul and helps him physically and, and goes along with him and helps his different travel plans. Or now that he's in, he's, in, uh, he's in prison, maybe he brings him food or something like that. But it could also mean that he has been bold to proclaim the gospel to other Gentiles, his fellow countrymen. We don't exactly know, But what we see him doing here is in line with the fact that he has joined in this endeavor to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. We know that he's loved by Paul. Consider again that we're talking about Paul, a zealous Jew, or used to be, having friendship now and love for a brother named Tychicus, a Gentile. Paul is sending a man who has been changed by the power of God. Tychicus is one who evidences the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and this matters. Paul is sending one of their brothers to deliver this message to them. So this is who Tychicus is. But the question now we have to ask is, why did Paul send him? Look at verse 21 again and 22. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. It actually isn't that difficult to see why Paul sent Tychicus. He kind of lays it out for us. Two explicit reasons. First, Tychicus is to tell or to make known to them everything that is going on with Paul so that they might know how he's doing. But then second, Tychicus is supposed to encourage their hearts. Let's go back to that first idea first, though. Uh, Paul wants them to know how he's doing. I put emphasis there because I want you to look with me at verse 21 and see something. In verse 21, 
uh, our translation says that Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything, to tell you. That's a fine translation, it's not wrong. But the word that the Greek is actually saying is to make known. Now we would say to make known means to tell, that's true. It's a certainly a good translation. But I want you to go back and think about this as to make known because it's actually part of what Paul is doing here and what he is stressing. I'm gonna go back and change the wording of that and I'm gonna read this whole section again and see if you pick up on how many times he talks about knowing. All right, here we go, verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Take a kiss, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make known to you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Three different times in these short verses, we see that he is sharing his life and ministry so that they might know who Paul is and all that's going on. He's sending Tychicus with the task of delivering a letter, and then he tells him to fill in so many other details. Maybe it's about his health. Maybe it's about his imprisonment. Maybe it's about some of the different missionary journeys that they've gone on. Maybe it's some of the opposition that they've faced. Maybe it's some of the problems in some of the churches around the area. I'm not sure what he's telling them. It's not necessary for us to know all of that, but for this group of people, Paul is sharing with them himself. He's sharing in this ministry. Tychicus is to make known everything to them. Paul wants them to know his state of affairs. He wants to include them in the process of making known and living in the light of the mystery of God's will, the gospel. Consider uh, the times that we talk to Jared and Sharon, right, on video maybe or perhaps when we get them here for an extended period of time. We want to know what's going on. We want to hear about the kids, and we want to hear about their families. We want to see what things are struggle for them. What is life like over there? How can we be praying for you outside of things that we see in the letters? We obviously get good letters that tell us like what things to pray for and kind of update us, but when, when we get contact, we want to know about them. And in this kind of a way, we pray for Jared and Sharon and their boys, Key and Breck and Teague and Lachlan, and we pray for them. And we want to share in that ministry. And Jared and Sharon are very gracious to share with us in those things. That's not totally unlike what's happening right here. Paul is sharing his life and ministry with these people. Now I'll ask, how about you? I don't think that Paul is being like arrogant or like puffed up and like, hey, let me tell you all about myself. Like, I, t I sent Tychicus to just tell everything about me. That's not what he's doing. He's trying to, again, tell them all that is going on in his own ministry so that they can be involved in this. Do you and I do the same? Do we act like Paul in this way? Do you, do you share your victories with one another? Do you share your defeats? How about your worries, your concerns, or the sufferings that you go through? How about your family life? How about all the different things that are going on? Do you share your needs with one another? I'm, I'm talking about us. Now we've created, uh, over the couple of years, we, we do something called community groups. It's just a way for us to get together regularly. But this is one of the main thrusts of what we do when we do community groups. To read the Bible together, to fellowship with one another, to pray together, but to share our lives with one another. It's not meant to just be some sort of kumbaya moment that's like, like made up and like meant to make us feel all better inside. It is meant to build up each other in Christ. And what we see here is that Paul is more than willing to share about what is going on in his life. I would call us, brothers and sisters, to do the same thing, to on a regular basis confess to one another, 
to let one another know of our hurts and our struggles and our needs and our victories and rejoicing, that we would be a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not saying that everyone must go to community group, and if you don't, you're in sin. Oh, certainly not. But I will say that all of us are called to this, to share with one another in this Christian life. I would encourage you to let your brothers and sisters know who you are and how things are going. I will also make a quick mention. If you're not a member at Cornerstone Bible Church, well, obviously you're, you're, you're experiencing in some way what's going on at Cornerstone, which is a good thing, and we invite that. But we'd also invite you to commit to one another and to build one another and share your life with each other. This is a good thing for each other, for the sake of the upbuilding of his body of Christ. So not only does Paul send Tychicus to make known what's going on for Paul, he does one other thing. At the end of verse 22, we see that Paul sent Tychicus to encourage the hearts of these brothers and sisters. Now this is a, a really sweet moment. I want you to think about this. Paul cares deeply for these people. He shows that he's committed to them for their good. And by sending Tychicus, he wants them to be encouraged. I don't know if we understand how significant this is. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, for goodness sakes. I mean, he could have easily been like, I'm writing this letter, peace, the Apostle Paul, drop the mic, be done with it. But that's not what he does at all. Not only does he send it to them to make sure it gets to them, he sends them with a messenger who's going to fill in the details, and then he's also going to take this messenger and say, hey, encourage their hearts, that they would be built up in Christ. I just want to point out that the gospel has done something in a real person called the Apostle Paul, who used to be Saul, who used to hate the church, who used to hate Jesus Christ. He's changed him. And now this one that would persecute the church loves these brothers and sisters, and his aim is to encourage their hearts. He acts in a way which is for their good. And as a quick but important aside, I, d I don't think that what Tychicus is doing is kind of like complimenting them on their nice outfits. Like That's not the encouragement he's talking about. He's not saying like, hey, I know you struggled yesterday. Hey, get back out there, bud. You'll do, you'll do fine. It's going to be okay. Like He's not offering cheap encouragement. Why would he do this when he knows the truth of the gospel? What he is doing in his encouragement, if he spent any time with Paul at all, is encouraging them in the truth. Even though the rest of the world around them thinks that what they are doing is ludicrous, he's telling them, no, look to Christ, our hope, the Savior who has saved us from God's judgment and has made us a family of God. He's encouraging them in the truth of Jesus Christ, our true hope. Again, how about us? And I'll start with those of us who will um, have the greater stewardship. Elders, I want us to think this thing through. Are we the ones that are actually encouraging our people, encouraging other brothers and sisters to do what he, we should do in Jesus Christ, encouraging them to hope in Christ of our sure inheritance to come? But the rest of us, brothers and sisters, I want you to consider this. Is this a normal reflex for us? For us to encourage one another in the truth? when things are struggle, when things are happening, when, or when it's not happening bad, but to regularly encourage one another in the truth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. To bring up the fact that we have hope far past the difficulties of COVID-19, far past the difficulties of the grave. We have hope in Jesus Christ, the one who has saved us for eternity. This is encouragement, and this is what we ought to engage in regularly. This is Christian love on display, and we all should learn from this example. 
So the initial question that I asked there was, what is Paul doing in these closing remarks? In verses 21 and 22, he sent an important messenger. We've covered that. One who is a beloved brother, one who's shown himself to be a faithful servant, and he sends him to share about Paul's life with the saints and to encourage their hearts. But there's a second answer to the question. The first thing is he sends a messenger, but what else? He also prays for these Christians. Take a look at 23 and 24, or at least listen. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now in the ancient world, when people were finishing up their letter, they are going to sign off or end the letter with a wish for the recipients. Usually the sender like, wants the recipients to have good health or maybe good fortune, or maybe happiness, or something along these lines. And sometimes in the midst of this, they would even invoke like the gods to try to help them. The whole point in being that they're trying to sign off saying, hey, we want good things for you, and we want you to understand as much as we can that we're signing off in a good way that we're trying to make sure that you get a blessing in some way, even if it's not real. At least we're saying it in words that you know what's going on for us. Paul seems to take that idea, that convention, and use it for his own purposes. And in a sense, he Christianizes it. Look at all the language that he uses here. Yes, he is formally closing out a letter, but he is not just using empty words here. He's not just invoking the name of God to make it sound more holy. If he were to do so, all of us should rightly poke holes in that and call it insincere. And say, if you're going to just throw words around like that, it's almost like that vain repetition or empty speech that Jesus in Matthew 6 says, you can't do that. That's not the way you're to pray. So if that's not what's going on, and I would, I would contend that it's not what's going on, let's take a look here and see what he really is doing. All these different things, we realize that these are things that the people can't have on their own or Paul can't give to them. They're all things that only God can supply. Paul can't give them grace. Paul can give them love or faith or peace. Of course, he can exercise these things and he can have the fruits of the Spirit, but he can't make them do it. He can't make them experience God's peace. He can't make them have these things. So what exactly is he doing? He can exercise this, but even as he says these things, he says that they are from the Father, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm trying to say is that he's not just doing a formal ending. He's not saying, love Paul, or like in my case, uh, affectionately Chris, or your humble servant Nathan. That's not the way that he is just putting it out there as though it doesn't matter. Instead, he combines these closing remarks, this formula, with a written prayer that is for the benefit and blessing of these saints. Now, this goes exactly in line with what he's been doing with 21 and 22. He sent Tychicus to let them know what's going on and to bless them and encourage their hearts. And I said this before, but if you remember, Paul's broken out two different times in the book of Ephesians in serious prayer for these people, once in chapter 1 and once in chapter 3. And now as he closes this out, he does so again and prays that God would do this work. Think about this. He literally sent Tychicus, a brother, to help them as much as he could. Only thing that's better would be if God could do something for them. And so he prays that God would act on their behalf. He says, peace to the brothers and love with faith from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. In these last two verses, we kind of have a concentrated version of all the things that he's been talking about throughout the letter, several in his his own prayers. If you remember in Ephesians 1, he's actually started this way and he continues on throughout the whole thing. Also, if you like symmetry or if you like literary structure, 
Maybe some of you don't. That's fine. I don't, I don't bother. I don't, I don't blame you. But in chapter 1, verse 2, the very beginning, we have the bookend that we're experiencing here. If you go back and look at chapter 1, verse 2, this is what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he is showing again what he started from the beginning. This is what you need from God. As he's closing out, he's still calling for, for this from God. And it's not like these saints haven't experienced these things either. Remember in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Faith and love come up again. These are not new topics for us, but Paul reaches up to heaven and asks God to continue to work these things into the saints at Ephesus and throughout Asia Minor, understanding that we need God's constant work in us, the things that he's begun, to continue them on. And we could talk at length about peace and love and faith and grace. If we remember in chapter 3, Paul prayed to, that we would understand God's love. He kind of pushes real hard and he's like, the height and the depth and the length and the breadth and the, the unsurpassing nature that they would know the love of God. And then later on, if you remember, he sprinkled throughout here, he talks about faith of all these saints. If you remember, we just finished up chapter 6, talking the armor of God, take up the shield of faith. And then in probably the most famous part that we all remember, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, he says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. He's talked about this before. But what I want you to do here is see that this is getting concentrated again and continuing on to pray these things for his people. One more thing I think I ought to point out. It's the first word that he uses, peace. If you remember throughout Ephesians, this is a major theme for us helping us understand what God is doing, what kind of identity change we have had from those who are far away from now those who have been brought near to God. Let me read chapter uh, 2, verse 13 through 18. He says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. God in Christ has reconciled God and man, bringing peace. And God has reconciled man and man, bringing peace. But Paul certainly understands that this is initially given by and continually sustained by God alone. That's why he's praying for this to happen. It's also, um, I will also point out this, uh, maybe a, a familiar term with us, but Paul has not used the term brother or sister in this entire book. When I first read this, I read a commentary, and I was like, that's not true, is it? And I looked back, I'm like, oh my goodness, he hasn't referenced um, these people as his brothers or sisters the whole time. Remember, he is explaining to them their newfound identity. He is telling them, maybe for the first time, you are part of the household of God. God is your Father in Jesus Christ. You are members of this household. And now as he gets to the end, he is reminding them this horizontal relationship is real, and you are brothers and sisters in Christ. He talks about this even more. You see him talk about God who is the Father. Paul is praying that his family members would have peace from God with one another. Of course, both in an ultimate way in salvation, 
but also in this present way that's continuing on, a shalom, that which is like wholeness in Christ. Holy, I'm not talking about like the way that the world thinks about wholeness. I'm talking about being holy before God, satisfied in Him, having peace with God and one another and in the beauty of holiness. In the last verse, verse 24, he seems to tie these ideas together. He says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Paul prays for grace for us. That means he prays that we who do not deserve it would have God's blessing on our life. Isn't that what grace is? I just want us to remember, like, what he's, it's not some theological word out there. He's praying God's blessing on those who deserve no blessing whatsoever. He's praying grace for these folks. He connects this idea of grace with something that actually has happened in the believer. He prays that grace will be given to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at that last word, incorruptible, it's a little strange, but let me kind of explain it. Think about it this way. He's connecting it for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ sincerely, with integrity, with a love that's not wishy-washy or susceptible to corruption. It's a difficult word for us that we don't quite use very often, but what he is trying to get across is that this thing, this incorruptible love, is something that has been affected by Jesus Christ in us so that it draws our hearts to trust and love him truly. That does not mean that the only grace or peace that we'll get is if we are true to loving God, in a sense that it's dependent completely on us. The Bible is very clear here. It is not up to us to save ourselves. While we were dead, he came and made us alive. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We trust and know that it is God that's doing this. What he is saying is that what we are experiencing here this affection that Christ has worked in us is that which is not like the fickle stuff of the world. It's something that he continues to do in us and to work in us. And so it can be called a love that is incorruptible. It's one that's truly given to us and sustained by Christ himself. And as I think about this, I think, man, Paul is a loving brother giving us this blessing or this benediction or these things that he's praying to God for these believers, and thus also for us. Paul sends a messenger to tell these Christians how he was doing, and so that this messenger might encourage their hearts. And then Paul prays these blessings for the saints. I mean, I'm convicted and encouraged that this is something that we ought to be doing. And I think it rightly brings us to the end, the last question that I said, the second question. Why are these closing remarks important for us then? We talked about what he is doing in these closing remarks, but now why are they important for us? Or I'll ask, are they important for us? Now, most of you chuckle because you know they must be important for us somehow. That's, that's a good thing. Uh, we, we can learn from this because most of us still hold that 2 Timothy 3.16 is true, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. So it's our task then to take a look and say, then what is this to mean for us in 2021 in Virginia Beach? What does this look like for us as we look at these closing remarks? I'll offer you two things. First, I think that most of us can learn from the example, all of us, can learn from the example that Paul has set for us here at the end of Ephesians. It is right for us to share our lives with one another. It's right for us to encourage one another in the truth, in the hope of Jesus Christ. We should be like Paul and pray for one another. We should be like Paul and remember that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That truth should reign in our hearts and cause us to live a certain way. You and I should follow Paul, our brother, who has shown us how to walk these things out. So that's the first thing. I'll leave you to it. But second, the second one is more subtle. 
This is one I don't think I really understood probably until like Friday or Saturday. I was thinking these things through, and it comes like, ding, whoa, there's something else that's going on here. So just let me just work it through for just a minute here. This is not just um, philosophy or theology or a treatise on Christianity. What we're experiencing here is real. These last four verses show us that this is real communication. It's really a letter that was written in real history. I say that because we are experiencing, at the end of this book, what we're experiencing snaps us back into reality, that it wasn't just some sort of theological treatise. It was a letter to brothers and sisters, real people. Like he knew who was on some of the ends of these letters. He knew that he might even talk to them later on. He wasn't sure about it, but he expects that they are going to read this and understand and their lives are going to be changed as they interact with what he has said through this communication. I mean, this letter is real. It's something that has been written by a real person. It's sent by a real messenger. It's sent to real people with real problems who need real counsel in the real world. The book of Ephesians is not some kind of lofty ivory tower theology that's you know, produced by theologians tucked away in libraries somewhere. No, this isn't just a book of the Bible. It is a letter to real people. Remember that Paul didn't go to a publisher and deliver the book of Ephesians for print or for them to make a bunch of these things so people would have these treatises. No, this is a church that's going to receive this letter from the Apostle Paul. It's important, though, because it reminds us that Paul was a real person. I mean, like, years ago, on this globe, Paul was real. He isn't a figment of our Christian imagination. We didn't make him up to try to like help us understand Christian theology. Let's make up a guy named Apostle Paul. We'll give him a really good background and all that. No, no, no. This is real. It's a real letter in helping us understand that what we are reading today in 2021 actually happened here on our earth. This is true. What I'm, what I'm trying to point out is two things. Historicity and revelation. Let, let me explain that. Historicity and revelation. And I'm not talking about when I say revelation, I don't mean the last book of the Bible. I'm talking about what has been revealed to us. Christians do not have any grounds for boasting. You know that's true, but like you say, but we have the truth. Well, amen, you can boast in the truth, but you and I didn't figure it out. We weren't so very smart that we somehow unearthed these truths. We, we tried all the different religions and we finally came to Christianity. That must have been the truth. You and I are not that smart. What actually happened, the Bible tells us, is that he reached into our darkness and shone light on us. He took us from dead people and made us alive. He revealed to us who he is. It is God's inbreaking of who he is on this universe to show us in the scriptures who he is. Uh, it is the truth that God revealed to his people through prophets and priests and kings and shepherds and fishermen and the Word incarnate. I'm talking about capital W Word, Jesus Christ, who's revealed to us who God is. Paul's giving his instructions to these believers, the truth that was revealed to him by the Lord Jesus. He is giving them then divine revelation. But make no mistake about it, I just want you to see again from these last four verses that this is real. It's not just made up to kind of figure out what Christianity is about. The Apostle Paul is not made up in our minds. Instead, he is real. And he has gotten this from a historical Jesus. He is a historical Paul. He writes to historical Ephesian people who will copy those things down. And now we have a historical people who has the truth here in the Bible for us to see and read and experience the truth that has been told to us. What am I saying? 
I am saying that we have been given this blessing. I'm saying that we are the recipients of God's grace. The amazing thing is that Paul prays that they would receive God's grace, that God would give grace to these people. But as they're reading this word, they are receiving the grace of God, the blessing of God to tell us who he truly is. This is an enormous blessing. This is an enormous blessing because it tells us the difference between life and death. It tells us all what's actually going on in the universe. And we, by God's grace, have received it as divine revelation. Paul prays for grace for these believers, but he really is giving it to them in the sense that he is giving them God's word. So, if you're a believer here today in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know that you didn't come to know Christ because you were so very smart. I want you to know that you came to Christ because of his immense mercy and grace, that he revealed himself to us in real time and space, and that he has graciously drawn us to himself in love. The answer, guys, is praise God. What an immense, incredible thing. I have nothing to to claim here today as though we're some kind of an incredible people, but we do serve an incredible God. And this brings us great joy, and it should be for praise from our mouth, from our lifestyle, that we would praise God for who he is. If you're not a believer, though, maybe if you're just curious, you're here for the first time, or you're trying to figure this whole thing out, and you're, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you also to be encouraged, because I want you to hear the truth proclaimed, uh, not because you are so great, but because you are experiencing the God of the universe talking to you this morning. Now, I am not saying that somehow I am the Messiah, that I am God. I'm listening to a podcast on Waco, Texas, if you remember David Koresh, Many cults have been started and fizzled out where men and women have said that they are divine and said that they are the Messiah. That is not what's going on this morning. As I prayed even earlier, and I will pray again and again, we are just vessels showing the truth of the gospel. But this is exactly how God chooses to do it, to come from the mouth of real people. And as you sit here this morning, I want you to hear that this is God's word to you, that you can know him in salvation and that you do not have to have the wrath of God poured out against you. The gospel is simple. Remember, God, man, Christ, and response. God is a holy, righteous, perfect creator. He has every right over us. Sin, or man, we have rebelled against God, rejected him, done all that we want to. And because of that, we deserve divine judgment for our sin. That's terrible. It's a devastating plight. And the whole world is under that plight, by the way. But I'll tell you this morning the truth. There is good news. It is that Jesus Christ has been given on the cross of Calvary and taken our punishment, the one that we deserve because of our sin against God, the Holy One. Jesus Christ took that punishment so that we could know the love of God and be reconciled to the Father. So my simple call to you, if this is not something that you know or are wondering about, it's a very simple response. Repent of your sin and trust God as Savior and King. He alone can rescue you and give us true eternal life and joy for all of time. This is true, and I want you to hear not because I'm something special, but because we have something incredibly and special. It's incredibly special. You hear, I stumble all the time. I'm not anything special. But praise God that His Word is true and that it is powerful. And we ask God that he would continue to work his word throughout all of us, but also to those who have not heard yet. Brothers and sisters, I want to finish then by saying, take heart. 
Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And what we have in our hands here is the truth explained. I want you to know that our faith in Christ is grounded in the true God of history, not in some men's thoughts about what it might be like to live in a Christian world and make up some Christian doctrine. It's real. I want you to be solidly connected to the truth of the gospel. I know how difficult it is when we rub up against the world nonstop to struggle with doubt, to think that we're just one group of truths in a sea of many other truths. By God's grace alone, can I have the confidence to say this? That's not true. The truth is in this word right here, and there's confidence in knowing him and him alone. And you can stand on the fact that he has done that in you. We trust the God that has given us his word this morning. He's revealed himself to real humans for the sake of his very real glory. And so together we want to praise him. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for giving us peace. I thank you, Lord, that you have shown us your love. I thank you that you've even worked in us your faith, our faith to believe and to trust you and to walk. And we ask that we would be a people grounded in the truth of the word, the revealed word in real history. We see that this, this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians is not something that people made up to explain the Christian religion. But rather, Lord, it's you speaking through your son Jesus to the Apostle Paul who has wrote it down so that we might know the truth and so that we might live in light of who you are. We thank you, dear Lord, and we pray for your help. Oh God, please help us. We pray your blessing on your people. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that there would be peace to them and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of them who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For further sermons and more information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.